on this week's episode of Tales to Admonish with your co-host Tom and the always sexy Arthur Romeo. Ooh-wee. We talk about a weird thing that David Lynch does that maybe you know about and I don't. A Quiet Place 2 has the largest box office opening since the start of the pandemic and still John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are getting their cut. We are going to spoil Disney's new movie, Cruella. I didn't see it, but I watched a recap, and my girlfriend basically guessed the whole movie, so credit where it's due. Go, Rachel. Go, Rachel. Netflix cancels Jupiter's Legacy, and honestly, we are not at all surprised. Nope. Marvel's got now their third podcast drama out, and Arthur and I are going to talk about their new one, Wastelanders, Old Man Star-Lord. And then we're going to talk black horror today. And we have an honest-to-goodness bonafide black guy here, so this should be really interesting. Hey, that's me! <laughs> so join us as we talk this and more on this week's episode of... Tales to Admonish! <laughs> i got to start preparing better <laughs> for these intros, because I feel like I'm just stammering like a fool. How are you, Arthur? You're fine, bro. You're fine, oh. and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, it's a light week a little bit. Like we got Loki coming out soon, which I mean, everybody is super stoked for it. Can't wait, can't wait. Every day they drop like tiny little bits, a picture here and like a clip there. And they're just building the excitement for it. Yeah. June's going to be great for me, man. I mean, I get, we got Loki coming and uh, also Ratchet and Clank. The new PS5 game is coming. This game Looks like a Pixar movie. It's so insane, man. You know, I'm really excited about these, uh, like the PlayStation 5, now that it's like, you know, now that the games are coming out and we can see what the system can do. Because it's just changing the way you can, like, like really, uh, like, it's changing the way the game developers can make games. Because the system is so fast, they don't um, have to do what they've done before. Because usually they have to have an, like, a, an economy in where they place their uh, graphical bits. Mm -hmm. So if if you're looking at a place, everything behind you is losing graphic power, so you can pump that power into what you're looking at. But, you know, if you're turning and going into a room or all this type of stuff, there's loading and, like, graphical uh, defects and stuff. But, like, that's going to become a thing of the past. And because they have the extra power, they could do a lot of more wicked stuff. Nice. So in this game in particular, um, you you're you're traversing different dimensions, like whole dimensions, and you could do it within milliseconds. Before there had to be loading screens, so like it's it's really exciting. You got to check nice. out a trailer nice. for it when you get a chance. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not gonna pay a thousand dollars for a PS5, so I, I'm gonna have to wait on Ratchet and Clank. I, you know what? I probably won't even buy a PS5. Video games are not my forte. That's why I talk to you, so you can keep me up on it. But I do, I do remember Ratchet and uh, Clank from the original PlayStation series. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I um, uh, I, I got out to a baseball game recently, which was freaking awesome. Um, oh, yeah, I, I saw the pictures. Awesome. Thank you. Nice. Um, yeah, we hadn't gotten out to, like, be out uh, for uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. So um, so I was really excited to do that, which reminds me to remind you, go get your damn shot, Arthur. <laughs> I'm going to. Sheesh. I'm not playing. Don't you sheesh me, all right? I need you around to make me look good, Okay. <laughs> Got Damn. no problem with that, sugar. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And who else is going to agree with me that uh, Jupiter's legacy was trash, and as such, uh, it has been binned by Netflix. They are not yeah. going to. They've canceled their season two and season three plans. Uh, they they say they reserve the right to explore the universe, but as of right now, all future projects are out of production. Um, I don't know. I mean. It, I don't know. It's it's kind of a thing where you read the room. I mean, there's so many superhero projects, mm-hmm. and like if you're not doing it well, or if the story, like I th- I think they would have had a better chance with that um, other comic that Mark Millar made. I think it was was it Supreme? No, it wasn't Supreme. No, it, no, it, yeah, it was, Supreme was Lifefield. Yeah, it was the one where um like it was a superhero that was like a super villain, like like a <sighs> crazy super villain, and he had like that white suit. Um, that was another Mark Millar book. That that w- that could have been interesting, but I don't know. They they're they're tra- they're going in that direction already with that. What was that? Brightburn. 
Brightburn, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually liked Brightburn. I thought, I thought that you know, it had its moments. That it, movie was horrific. It, it's bro. terrifying. It is legit terrifying. It was horrific. Holy cow! I think it has parts where it lags a little bit, but like that mm-hmm. kid is legit creepy, and uh, his performance is is very, very believable. And the idea of yeah. a child with Superman's powers and lacking a moral compass is is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let me ask you this about Jupiter's Legacy: Did you finish? All the episodes for season one. What do you think, Tom? What, what did we start talking about? <laughs> See, I didn't finish it either, and I think that's how you—that's how a show gets canceled. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't finish it either. I lamented with quite a bit of authority on those first couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's you know? true. It's true. There was a couple actors on there that I liked, but like the, the you know, uh, what's the name of that lead actor that was in Transformers? Oh, you got me on. Tra- I haven't seen Transformers. Well, the the lead the lead on um, uh, Jupiter's Legacy. Normally, I'd have that note, but I I just do not okay. care about that show. Well, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> I can't remember it's, his it's name. I like, can't remember. I don't know. Like to put him in old makeup and stuff. It's just well, like, that's it. I'm... He just didn't. The whole thing looked a little funny. There were times yeah. where actually, when they were like doing the back in time stuff, actually looked really cool, and I thought they got the. The, the design of that portion of the program, you know, they got it down. It looked good, but it just had too many failings and I didn't care about any of the characters and bouncing mm-hmm. between two storylines, but not really getting anywhere with either of them. I, I was done mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. I uh, again, I liked the it. comic because, you know, it came out, man, it came out over 10 years ago. Plus, uh, Frank quietly was drawing it and he is like, there's just nobody else like him, you know? Uh, so like his him drawing those first few issues of uh, Jupiter's Landing made it just like a mu- anytime he's on the comic it's always a must see comic. Yeah. So like I mean he just he honestly elevated superheroes when he was drawing that book, and I just wish they could have captured that in the movies. Like you know it just seems like a generic superhero film. Yeah, you know, a little bit. Show show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like nobody. There's nobody to root for. I don't know. I just couldn't get into it. Speaking of nobody to root for, though, uh, Cruella, the Disney movie Cruella, just came out. Cruella. Cruella. <laughs> Cruella. <laughs> I know. The whole the whole premise of it seems to be that we're supposed to find a puppy murderer sympathetic by the end of her journey. <laughs> yeah. It's good, like, good on no you, matter Disney. what you do with this movie, you know that like the final act is she tries to kill a hundred puppies and we're supposed mm. to, I mean, Emma Stone is very likable, but I don't know if she's kill a hundred puppies likable <laughs> and uh spoiler warnings. If you don't want to hear spoilers about uh, Cruella's um, super spoilers, she doesn't get the puppy. So it's okay. But spoiler warnings from this point out, because we're going to laugh to all fucking get out about one of the finer details of this movie that I just, I have to talk to Arthur about because it's it's too good not to share. So you've been warned. Skip ahead five minutes if you don't want to spoil what happens in Cruella by Disney. All right. So with that being said, the funniest shit, Arthur. The funniest shit. <laughs> so Rachel and I are watching. Rachel's my girlfriend, for those who may not know. Rachel and I are watching the trailer for Cruella because we watch a lot of trailers. We catch up on that stuff together. And we're watching the whole thing. And, and of course, Emma Stone looks fantastic. And we get the point that she's a fashion designer and she works for a lady that's like even meaner than she is. Because if you're going to make your villain sympathetic, you have to get a more villainous villain, right? And so we watch the whole thing. And it finishes, and Rachel looks at me, and she goes, I bet Dalmatians kill her parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so she's like, how, you know, how are we it's, supposed it's so to funny when you brought It's so funny you brought that up. Like, when you were bringing that up to me, uh, you know, I, I catch, like, every clip in a trailer. Sure. Like, I just, like, I, I just really see everything. And there was this clip where there was these, um, where it was, like, a close-up of, of angry looking Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. It's like, when do you ever see angry teeth bearing Dalmatians? Right, right. You know, so I, I figured it was something like either she's having a bad dream or somebody's being attacked that's <laughs> close to her. And then you, when you brought that up, I was like, oh, that's probably the scene. And then you told me that it was correct. A hundred percent. So apparently the, the evil fashion designer boss of the company had Cruella DeVille's mother killed when she sicked her Dalmatians on her and they didn't tear her to pieces. Cause this is still a Disney movie. 
But they did jump kick her off a balcony, like into a bay. (laughs) (laughs) Spotted kick. Yep. Yep, 100%. <laughs> that happened. The Dalmatian charges, and the lady's standing by the edge of the balcony, and it jumps up on her, and it pushes her over the ledge, and she falls, and she dies. And that's why Cruella hates fucking Dalmatians. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when Rachel said it, I was like, come on. Really? Dalmatians killed her parents? Now, granted, they don't address the issue of her father, but her mother, her her guardian, as it were, is murdered by a Dalmatian 100%. And so, you know, when it comes time to kill 101 Dalmatians, we might forgive her a little bit because, you know, in her mind, maybe those puppies had it coming. <laughs> mm. How how well is it doing? Is it is it doing well, box office wise? I think it did okay. I think it did okay. It opened up against um, A Quiet Place 2, and A Quiet Place 2 fucking destroyed the weekend Mm -hmm. but i still think it did okay a quiet place 2 did almost 60 million dollars which is the current record for post-covid for an actual theatrical run for a movie so i mean they they seem to have caught lightning in a bottle again after you know quiet place one did almost 350 million dollars over the course of its run Mm -hmm. So they're doing they're doing absolute gangbusters. But you know what the the funny thing about this is, is that Paramount Plus decided that they are going to cut the theatrical release from 90 days to 45 days. And as such, it would debut on Paramount Plus 45 days after it released in theaters available to all of their subscribers. I I don't know any of their subscribers, but apparently they'll get to watch the movie. I'm one of them. And John, do, do you have Paramount Plus? Mm hmm. Oh, see, I don't have so that. So you I... just lied, bro. Oh, all right. Well, you are going to get to watch A Quiet Place 2 in like mean I'm gonna watch a it. month and a half. I should watch It's probably a darn good movie. But the, the interesting point here is that that functionally cuts the theatrical run revenue in half. Not because you're going to make more in the opening weekends. Now, why would they do that, Tom? Well, why they did it is, number one, I don't think that they think movies are going to have a tail anymore. You know how like guardians of the galaxy and wonder woman stayed in theaters forever because those movies mm-hmm. had a tremendous tail on them where people kept going to see them. I think they're betting that the market for people who are going to the theaters is small enough that they want to get that sucker on streaming as quickly as possible. And so mm-hmm. they, they reserve the right to cut the theatrical run in half. And so they did. And so John Krasinski and Emily Blunt went to Paramount and they were like, so respectfully, you should pay us for what we would have made on the end of this theatrical run. Cause that's what our contract stipulates. And Paramount was like, you know, it's tough times. We all got to share tough times. So how about no. Typical Hollywood, man. Yep. But I don't understand why they do this because both the first and the second movie have been tremendous successes. John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, both of them are absolutely beloved in Hollywood. Why would you why would you poke the bear like that when you know this thing is going to make a literal boatload of money and you could throw them a few million dollars just to make the situation go away and to come out looking like the good guys? it's, 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 It's business as usual, man. It's business as usual. I mean, the people will adhere to contracts like 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 no tomorrow. I mean, look uh, what yeah. they tried to do to Dave Chappelle. Yeah. It's like how how do you how do you like with a bald face like go and and take this man's work and mm-hmm. and oh, oh we can put a streaming content. Are you gonna pay Dave? No, the contract doesn't stipulate that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. why wouldn't you pay Dave? You know that's why Dave like he went out there and said hey boycott my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. And he got it know? back. It worked. Yeah. Like Amazing. he's only one of the he's one of the only people that could actually do that because he That's is true. truly beloved. Yes, yes, <laughs> he is like unbelievably beloved. Like he's uncancelable. <laughs> <laughs> he can say whatever he wants, man. It's true. <laughs> Ever since he did that inside the actor's studio, uh, it's like you get so much more appreciation for the man in his mind. But but mm. John Krasinski and Emily Blunt have justifiable gripe here. It would seem. I mean, they're gonna do they just do. fine. They're going to be fine. But an interesting thing, too, is, you know, the push for the two of them to play Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman for Fantastic Four. It's almost annoying. (laughs) All of the really good, like, Photoshop that they have. Oh, they look perfect. They're perfect for it. They're perfect for it. 
They are absolutely perfect for it. And from actually, there was a new report that came out recently because uh, Marvel had made an offer to the two of them and they had declined it. And then uh, more of the photoshops, more of the fan pushing. And then Krasinski came out and during an interview said, would you be interested in playing, you know, Mr. Fantastic? And he said you, something, and I'll paraphrase to this effect. He said, basically, I know you're supposed to play coy about these sorts of things, but I would love to play Mr. Fantastic. There, I said it. And so then Marvel reported that they sent a new offer. You know their history with Marvel, right? What, what is their history? You don't tell me. Well, um, he was slated to uh, be Captain America. Oh, right, 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 right. But he he didn't want and, to do and that. And Emily Blunt was. Well, no. The thing is, he saw Chris Evans, and he's like, I I can't do what he does. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Emily Blunt was supposed to be Black Widow. Is that right? Yeah, I did. And not know uh, that. she she had a scheduling. What was that? It was was it Devil Wears Prada. It was some move, some. It wasn't the Devil's Prada. It was a movie that was whack, <laughs> <laughs> and that that she had a scheduling uh, uh, disagreement with, and and then Scarlet napped the role. I I love Scarlet in the role, but I would have oh, loved yeah. Emily Blunt as Black Widow. I I really like Emily Blunt reserved for the Invisible Woman. I think the two of them they just absolutely one hundred percent look like they stepped out of the John Byrne book. I always wanted Rachel McAdams to be Invisible Woman. That's I thought a good she would have been. I think she would have been great, but she's kind of wasted in that, like, kind of like the damsel in distress, like role in Doctor Strange. Like, there's nowhere for her. Yeah, to go other, yeah, no. other than to be like a love interest and to patch you know? up the hero. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing they did with Jane Foster and Thor. So that's why I'm so happy that they're actually following the storyline from the comics, where she actually becomes Thor. Yeah, Yeah. So that's great. Um, speaking of Thor, did you see how jacked this dude is? Oh, it's it's <laughs> well, he just came off playing Hulk Hogan too. He's gonna be yeah. in a Hulk Hogan biopic, and he's he's incredibly huge. Those arms are insane. He is absolutely insane. It's it's phenomenal. Like that last picture with uh, Ty Waititi when they're both. Oh, his arm is as thick as my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I've seen your body. And that's true. That's true. I am. I'm a skinny son of a bitch. It's true. <laughs> uh, I need to rattle off some um, exciting uh, release dates. So, oh, what do you got? Um, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> yes, I saw that. Just got announced. That's like the best show on television right now. What we do in shadows, baby. <laughs> oh, it's the writing is so brilliant. It is so funny, legit funny and smart. I'm Daytona. I am a bartender. <laughs> uh, with Mark Hamill, like that, they had both those elements in one episode. That is the classic <laughs> episode of the series, dude. I, I don't know how you could pick one, bro. It's, it's all so the superb fantastic. owl episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it comes. It's they're dropping September second. I'm so glad to see that because, like, as you know. Well, throughout the past year, like a lot of great shows have got the axe just because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. You know, so hopefully there a lot of them are able to come back. Um, they but they've also announced uh Taika Watiti has a show called Reservation Dogs. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's coming that. out. So that's gonna be good. Um uh we also have Why the Last Man finally coming out. Reservation Dogs, by the way, comes out August 9th. Okay. And uh and have, uh, what we do in the shadows is September at some point, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, just uh, yes, it's September second. Perfect. And then why why the last man? That is uh, where that's September thirteenth. And also, don't forget Rick and Morty. Like June, end of June, June twentieth, June twenty something. Mm -hmm. I don't have it in front of me, but Rick and Morty season five at the end of June, which I know we have mixed feelings about. Um, I, I love it. I love Rick and Morty, but I'm not I'm one not of those taking fun guys. I'm not anything away from that show. It's just like the voice can be a little grating to me. That's fair. But like, you know, you know, it's, it's a Mark Harmon show. Harmon, like he's a genius. Wait, not Mark. Uh, Mark Harmon, <laughs> like from summer school. Dan Harmon. <laughs> yeah, summer school, baby. <laughs> Dan Harmon, Harmontown. Yeah, man, I love summer, summer school, school, bro. Oh, that's deep thank cuts, you, man. Thank you. That's deep cuts, bro. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, yeah. 
Black Widow comes out this month, right? Black Widow comes out. What is it? July 9th? I don't think it's June. I think it's July. July. Okay. All right. That's that's cool. That's cool. Like that's like Loki should be ending right when that yeah. comes out. I reserve the right to be a little bit off by some of the specific dates because I don't have them in front of me, but it's right around those times. Oh, that's all good. So, um, do you know if Loki has six episodes or eight, ep- eight episodes? I have no idea how many episodes it's going to be. Okay. I'm looking forward to it, and it'll give us a whole lot to talk about once it does come out because I've been drifting around channels, just watching weird stuff, listening to things that I haven't really, that I've been putting off. Um, one of the things I discovered, and I had to share this with you, and I, I maybe other people know about it. I don't know if it's a thing or not, but apparently David Lynch does a daily weather report for Los Angeles, which is the most surreal shit I have ever seen. Every video. Wait, wait, did you, did you just say David Lynch with the word surreal? It's surreal. <laughs> Yeah, the guy who made Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive and Twin Peaks is a little bit weird. But it's it's got to be performance art because he sticks to an almost identical script because it's L.A., so the weather is pretty fucking identical. You live there, Arthur. I don't. You tell me. It's like basically mm-hmm. the same damn weather, smog in the morning mm-hmm. and clear skies at night, in the afternoon. And it's it's funny as hell. So it's called David Lynch Theater. And apparently he got his start back in 2005 doing the weather for an indie radio station. Like while doing everything else he's fucking doing, he would call in and he'd do this one minute like today's weather. It's 61 degrees and hazy. It's just hysterical. <laughs> and he has such he has that such a distinct voice. And um, every one of them's like a minute long. And then he has another series he does where he, I swear to God, just shakes up a bucket with 10 ping pong balls in it with numbered one through 10 and gives today's number. Mm-hmm. Today's number is four. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> and he did this for four goddamn years on his website where on his own, instead of social media, he would post on his own website, the weather report for Los Angeles. And then he took a break from it. He stopped doing it. And then once COVID hit, he started doing them again, and now he's got over a year's worth on um, on YouTube. And you can go and check out the ones he does them on Christmas, on New Year's, on his birthday, and it's it's fucking hysterical. The man is just he's doing something, and I love it. I don't know what it is. It's weird and it's awesome, <laughs> and I appreciate his dedication to something so stupid and wonderful. But I I don't know if you ever heard of this, but I loved it. Oh, well, you remember I told you he he. He comes out with like music albums where he's singing. I know I haven't got a chance to listen <laughs> they're, they're, yet. They are that. surreal as well. <laughs> oh my god! But that was that was like the best thing. Um, another good thing I caught up with was um, so for those of you who are listening, um, first off, thank you because it's new and I hope the audio quality is getting it's better. It's great, man. People think we're in the same room together. Oh, thank you. I hope that I hope that it does sound that way. Um, you know, despite the fact that we are so far, uh, I feel very close to you, Arthur. Yeah, I'm in L.A. <laughs> and my buddy here is in New York. That's right. Beast Coast. <laughs> East Coast. <laughs> it's the Beast uh-huh. Coast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Arthur out on the best coast. Best coast and the Beast Coast. That's right. And so, um, but one of the things that I always thought was really funny is that Arthur asked me one day, he goes, Hey man, if you heard this audio drama, uh, Wolverine, the long night on, on, you know, Apple podcasts. And I was like, Oh, I love Wolverine, the long night. It's a radio drama about Wolverine and Sentinels are hunting him, et cetera, et cetera. I listened to that on a plane trip one time. And, uh, Arthur is literally the only other person I've ever met in my entire life that has listened to this program. <laughs> and so if there's a reason that we do this podcast together is that you, you get something so fucking granular. And then he's like, Oh, I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so those guys who've produced it, Marvel produces it. And it's basically like an old timey radio drama, but it's on your favorite podcast apps. Wow, it's, a little, it's, a, it's a little more than an old timey radio thing it sounds like a maybe full, i'm playing it down full force it sounds amazing cinematic experience in your ears <laughs> <laughs> i work i work in the world i work in the world of voiceover and i've been listening to podcasts for years and years and years and like that first season of that logan podcast will just blast you to eternity with its sound design 
It's insane. Yeah. Well, and those those were produced. Um, they were directed and sound designed by a guy named Brendan Baker, and they were directed uh, by Chloe uh, Prezinos. And they did Wolverine: The Long Night, and then they also did season two, Wolverine: The Long Trail, which you and I both agree doesn't sound as rich, maybe as the first one, but is still exceptional in its and quality. Yeah, it's it's definitely more comic booky. The first one was like full out movie. It didn't really, you didn't, yeah. it didn't really feel like. It was like a Nolan version of like of, of a Wolverine, and the second mm-hmm. sec, second one was very very comic booky, and I I mean I appreciated it, but it wasn't it wasn't as like crazy cinematic powerful as the first season. Well, they their third one now is titled Wastelanders: Old Man Star Lord. And for anybody who might be comic familiar, usually uh, when Marvel does one of these quote unquote old man so-and-so, like old man Logan started the trend, uh, as it were. And when they do one of these series, it's that some superhero has found himself older, not quite up to his original A game and in a dystopian future run by supervillains. It's no spoiler uh, to say that that is the exact situation that Star-Lord finds himself in this instance. He's now in his uh, 60s, um, and he is on Earth and has come to find out that Doom has won, and Doom has successfully taken over the Earth, and now he has to help. Oh, that sounds good. I just want to know about the, I just want to know about the cast. Well, um, the the vast majority of the audio is produced by Star-Lord and Rocket. Uh, we don't know why it's just the two of them. Uh, they make it a point in the first episode to say that they don't say why it's just the two of them. Uh, also, potential spoilers, um, I'm not sure. A lot is given away in the descriptions that accompany every episode, but they only have two episodes out so far, so there's really only so much I can spoil. But warnings, if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, please skip forward. Um, I mean, um, I, I do have to say in the comic book, like the roster changed up like all the time. That's true. You that's know? true. Like it's just, it was just, you know, as, as seafaring pirates go, you know, <laughs> like, like there was all sorts of situations characters would go through, like allegiances would change. Like, yeah, the, to me, that makes a lot of sense. So basically the story finds us with Star-Lord and Rocket. The Milano, their spaceship is older, kind of more broken down, and they get tasked by the person. We don't know who they are yet, but this person has presumably defeated the Collector, which you may remember from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and taken over his collection. And now she would like them to add another artifact to this collection, so they send them out looking for... um, the dark void, which is some sort of magic. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they're off looking for it. Are you talking about the dark void that's within the century? It's it's some kind of object. It's not a person. Because, like, there's a character called Sentry that's, like, enveloped by the void. Yes, and then Void is his evil alter uh, ego. No, 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 it's not Void. It's oh, okay. the... it's. It's supposed to look like some kind of jewel, but I, I don't specifically remember the way they describe it. But it's an object, and uh, they need to track it down and find it, and they'll get paid a bunch of money to do it. And it turns out it's on Earth, where Rocket and Star-Lord haven't been for some 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so they arrive on Earth, and the first thing they see is Mount Rushmore, but all of the faces have been carved off, and they're all the face of Doom. Of course. Which is awesome, because Dr. Doom would totally do that. And so the cast is Timothy Busfeld as Star-Lord and Chris Elliott as Rocket Raccoon. Timothy Busfeld, for some of us who are a little bit older, you remember he is Point Dexter from Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, okay. I also remember him as the baseball player love interest in Little Big League, the movie where the kid like inherits the twins from his grandfather. And he's fine. He's fine. I think that they're definitely playing the hammy Star-Lord, but that is Star-Lord. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cool with it. But then you have Chris Elliott as Rocket Raccoon. And I got to be honest, I'm not a huge fan. Have you heard? So you heard what he sounds like? Oh, yeah. He sounds like Chris Elliott. He's not doing a voice. He's doing Chris Elliott. Uh-oh. And that's my problem with it. All right. That's crazy because he does voices. I mean, I know, but like that's weird weird that he didn't make make up a specific voice for Rocket. Well, and he's sort of playing on his own voice. He's speaking a little quicker and a little bit more aggressively, but it is 100 percent Chris Elliott. And I feel like 
that's the part of it that pulls me out of it. Because mm. I can't not hear Chris Elliott. I would rather they hired somebody, either the, the guy who does the cartoon, who's perfectly fine, and I'm sure he would have been available. Mm-hmm. Just get somebody I don't know. Like Timothy Busfeld, I know, but I don't know his voice to the degree that I know Chris Elliott's. And maybe that's just me because I loved Get a Life, which was his old sitcom in the 90s. Yeah, I and love him. Stand in the place where you live. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, my God. I bought R.E.M.'s Green Album because of that. Because of the damn theme song to that show. But so I love Chris Elliott. So when I'm hearing him as Rocket Raccoon, I'm just sort of hearing Chris Elliott. And so maybe this is just a condition that I suffer from and other people would be totally fine with it. But so far, um, the only part of the production team that they kept from Wolverine, The Lost Trail and The Long Night is the writer, Ben Percy. Everybody else changed, and I'm gonna be honest, it doesn't sound anywhere near as good. Mm. It just doesn't. I like a note not to take anything away from Mark Henry Phillips, who is both the composer and the sound designer for this project. They also got a new director, uh, Kimberly, Kimberly Senior, and mm. they do a fine enough job. It sounds good, but the first one sounded great. So mm. I don't know what the politics are behind changing the entire team, but they did what they had to do, and it sounds like perfectly serviceable radio drama. Okay. So that was pretty cool. Um, do you want to get to the meat and potatoes or what are you thinking? I'm hungry. <laughs> All right. Well, I love it. So let's get to the, let's get to the thing now uh, that we're going to be talking about today. Black horror. And not, <laughs> not, not like especially evil horror. We mean horror produced, starring, directed by, or valuable uh, within the black community. Oh yeah. That'd be a fair way to put it. Because yeah. a lot of this stuff is, um, you know, they utilize a lot of white creative staff in the beginning. It's only recently now that, like, you know, people of color are getting behind the lens. Yeah. So I'm well, really, I'm in support of that. We're getting a lot of good stuff right now. It's been happening intermittent, intermittently throughout the years. It's just like it's just got high caliber and, uh, like, a, a amount of people doing it within the last six, seven years now. Uh, and it's just it's just great. It's such it's like because you we we would have like many renaissances in black media, but it would only last for like it'd be just kind of a little blip. But like the 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 way things have been going mm-hmm. now with technology, you know, everybody being able to, to have access to technology and making stuff, you know, more more inclusiveness. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just it the the um the palette and the canvas is just getting ever ever more richer. I love this documentary because it just really goes. It, it, I remember when I first watched it, I was actually at the uh, screening with like all the actors and and a bunch of like iconic actors like Keith David and stuff. I like I was so nervous to walk up to him. Oh, I love Keith David. <laughs> the documentary in question is called Horror Noir: A History of Black Horror. Mm-hmm. I don't think we mentioned the title earlier, so I want to make sure that people get it because you should be watching this. It was directed by Xavier Bergen. It is currently available on Shutter, or I believe you can order it on Amazon, uh, wherever you might find it. I watched it on Shutter. Um, but yes, Horror Noir: A History of Black Horror by director Xavier Bergen, and it goes start to finish through what we know as you know some of the the high points of the black horror movement and industry so you were saying you went to the premiere yeah i was at the premiere it was amazing got to meet got to meet ernest dickerson that was really dope and uh i was too nervous to go to keith david i wanted to tell him goliath (laughs) thank you brother (laughs) (laughs) keith david is so amazing he has one of those voices the moment you hear it you're like oh that's keith david that's he is he is instantly recognizable by his voice and it's phenomenal i was so stoked if you couldn't get clarence uh uh howell the third to be the lead in um tales from the hood then bringing in keith david for tales in the hood too was such a great choice clarence william the third Oh yes, yeah, sorry, Clarence Williams III, Clarence Howell III. I, I don't know, but yes, Clarence Williams yeah. III. Yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. he's so iconic in that, and that's the great thing about this documentary is that they cover 
all of those movies and they cover I, a century. I love they cover the, the whole century. The whole thing starting from, you know, the Night of the Living Dead all the way through the black exploitation era, where you get movies like Blackula, Sugar Hill, Blackenstein, and then you get up to like the nineties where Tales from the Hood, Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror, Bones, Vampire mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, all of these oh, yeah. And it's and and now currently, you know, the the sort of renaissance that somebody like Jordan Peele has ushered in because the the larger um, horror properties that we're seeing right now are very inclusive. We have Chris Rock taking over and doing the Spiral movie, which is in the Saw franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Jordan Peele, of course, is a producer on the new Candyman movie that is coming out on uh, August 27th, which is looks awesome. And then Lovecraft Country uh, County, sorry, did Gangbusters. Them is doing Gangbusters on Amazon right now. Mm-hmm. So there's just this huge wealth of of uh, you know content being created by people of color, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, um, it's been a long time coming. I think we were talking about um, like the link between a, a comedy, like black comedians and and horror. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like there's several things that you can kind of pinpoint. Well, that was that was one of the things I noticed in the documentary. Like all of these people who made this material, they all started out in comedy or did comedy after or have huge comedy ties. Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, if 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 you kind of look at first of all, like black people, black Americans, we've known nothing but horror in this country. So like, I feel like that's something that's like a, a, a reflex um, for our media. Yeah. Also, say in the same way comedy is because we've need to we've needed to have a lot of like mirth and levity uh, based off our situations. Like, I if mean, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. So I, I feel like those are things that come like hand in hand. Mm-hmm. If you if you're looking at why are we specifically seeing this sort of media kind of spring out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so big right now. And I think part of why it works is that it's it's persons of color showing people who might otherwise not know about these situations and these perspectives just how horrifying they are. Oh, and by the way, they're real. And you mix that with just enough creepy fantasy that you're not sure by the end of the movie which is scarier. Are we ever as afraid for um, Chris in Get Out while he's um, at the armistice's home or when we see those flashing red and blue lights? When I was in the theater and we saw that movie and you see those red and blue lights come on, everybody gasped. Mm -hmm. That was the scariest moment in the movie because we loved the main character by that point. And as bad as being kidnapped and hypnotized and having your brain cut out, we're still more scared when the cops show up. Oh yeah. And it's amazing juxtaposition now of like this, you're going to see normal society from our perspective and it's going to scare the shit out of you. Them has a bunch of that, uh, um, it built into, you know, the fabric of its writing. Lovecraft County did that. It's, it's in everything. And, you know, tales from the hood started all the way back then, um, you know, highlighted those, those sorts of things. I love um all the tropes that they talk yeah. about because it's it's been really frustrating kind of like you know having black people especially if it's something that's more mainstream black people are kind of locked into a certain type of character there's the magical negro yep yep a la you know the shining oh yeah or every role morgan freeman plays <laughs> and uh crazy and, i almost um, spit out my drink <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I am the magical Negro. <laughs> I played God, and I've I've also have been magical in uh, this movie as well. I was actually in a movie about magic. <laughs> Fair enough. So you have, you have you have that role. Uh, what are the other tropes we get that we see? Uh, you also have the sacrificial ne- Negro. Ah, uh, yes, yes, the one that has to die so that you know that the killer means business. A la, you know, Friday the Thirteenth or um, any of those. Yeah, the the black black person is always first person to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's so funny because after that became such a norm, 
they, you know, any smart director wants to play off the expectations of the audience. So it's like to to real comedic effect uh, in uh, Deep Blue Sea. Yes, <laughs> yes. Cool J, they yep. they kept uh, they kept making it seem like he was about to die, <laughs> and, and he he actually survives the whole thing. Sorry if I spoiled that twenty year old movie for you. That's right. That's right. Or, or spoiling another 25-year-old movie, the Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, where you have the whole cast of characters that start out in the house, and you have the like loudmouth, funny Jada Pinkett Smith, who at that point was fairly unknown. She'd only really done um, Poetic Justice before that, and she's the lone survivor. Like All of the dashing hero characters are killed off one after the other, and then she defeats the demon and walks out of the house. Like you don't mm-hmm. pick her to be the hero of that movie. She's an extra. Oh, yes. It was that was unheard of at the yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's what we said. I want to subvert you know? your expectations. The last person you expect. Because we always kill off the quote unquote annoying loudmouth character first. Or yeah. we kill off the inconsequential character first. And it's unfortunate that often people of color are cast in both those roles. Oh yeah. I mean I remember it was to the to the worst effect. I almost can't even uh, forgive Wes Craven for this, man. And uh, uh, it, Wes Craven's on so many sides. And Scream of it. and Scream Two, you know, because mm-hmm. the Scream movies were largely like satirical, like um, poking fun at horror horror tropes. So like, um, I forgot the name of the actor, but he played Dudley in in the Cosby Show. Um, but he's in this movie, and like they kill him to like the, the most egregious. Effect. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes on and on and on, you know. Well, and Wes Craven's really a great, great one to talk about because it's interesting because he's he's an older white guy, but he has made a lot of horror movies that seem to address this, you know, this topic. Um, the People Under the Stairs is one that can't be ignored. I mean, he did. The one of the quintessential quote unquote black led horror movies of the nineties and maybe one of the best ones. I fucking love that movie. He also did Eddie Murphy's Vampire in Brooklyn, which is not intentionally funny and is scary, legit scary in parts. I was scared, man. There was that part where um it was like surprisingly scary in a whole bunch of places. Like there's that part where um Eddie jumps behind that tree, uh, that car and rips a dude apart. Oh yeah, his yeah, arms everywhere. yeah. Whoo wee! I forgot. I must have been twelve or something when that came out. So Wes Craven's funny because he ends up on all sides of it. You look at something like uh, Big Trouble in Little China is a brilliant and fantastic movie that is has some representational problems. So I mm. think Wes Craven is legitimately good intentioned and sometimes he really gets it right and sometimes he gets it wrong. It, was, it, was, it wasn't wrong at the time. <laughs> but it's, but the, the thing of it is is that I think the pitfall for Wes Craven is that he is, you know, a white guy writing the African-American experience. And while there are, you know, some people, myself, I grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, and I believe I can truly empathize, but to really understand, not possible. Mm-hmm. I can try my best, and I could do my best to educate myself, and I have a whole lifetime of experience pretty well immersed in that community, but I still don't know what it's like to be an actual black person. And to that effect, that's why I'm so excited for the new Candyman because the Candyman franchise is maybe the quintessential black horror villain. And yet it's never been directed by a person of color. So the, so that was, that leads us to one of the other tropes, like um, the fascination that America thinks that black people have over white women. Mm, well, that's that's a classic you know. since the beginning days of film, and yeah. they they cover that pretty yeah. extensively Freaking, in the horror noir. Uh, birth of birth of our nation. Birth of our nation. Birth of the birth of the nation. Oh, such a horrible, you know? vile thing. Watch it for oh, yeah. educational purposes if you want to, but it's fucking gross. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, that's what's going on with uh, Candyman. Yeah. Candyman's obsessed with Virginia Madsen. Right. So that's like one of those instances where where Wes, you know, gets it a little bit. Was I, no, I'm sorry. Wes Craven didn't do Candyman. Bernard mm-hmm. Rose did Candyman, and then uh, it was um, Clive Barker who wrote it. And yes, he's he's mm-hmm. obsessed with her. And while Candyman Two: Farewell to the Flesh, directed by Bill Condon, is not 
the movie that Candyman one is. I think when watched following Candyman one, it contextualizes that relationship with her a lot better. But in Candyman one, yeah, what you do is you see the black man obsessed with white woman sexuality trope played out a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, they were they were doing a lot of that in the early nineties, man. Single white female. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Well, no, no, no. The Hand That Rocks... Wait a minute. The Hand That Rocks Cradle didn't have any people of color in it. Yeah. Um, uh, Forrest, Forrest Whitaker was in that. Maybe I don't remember that. Because uh, I thought that was one where Rebecca DeMornay becomes obsessed with this couple's baby and tries to off mm-hmm. the wife. Oh, I, th- I thought there was a part in there with Forrest Whitaker. Whatever it is. Um, but you're right. You're you're. I didn't mean to take you off track. My apologies. No, it's all good. So yeah, it's 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 interesting to see now it, what's what they're gonna do because the fundamental of the story seems to be the same. They still have you know Bernard Rose listed as a writing credit on the current movie, meaning they're gonna base it in that universe, I think. But Jordan Peele produced it, and it's being directed by Nia DaCosta. And what I gotta say is, did you did you get a chance to watch that trailer I told you about yet? Which one? The one for Candyman that came out last year that was all done with shadow puppets. No, I haven't watched that. Oh, my. You and anyone who might be listening to this, when you are done, go onto YouTube and search out the Candyman 2021 trailer. And they do this gorgeous, gorgeous, like shadow puppet trailer using no frames or footage from the movie. And it's perfect. I'm going to watch it right now. And then we're going to like start up in uh, in uh, 10 seconds. <laughs> nice. So you, you, you watch that. Um, but I'm so excited for this movie. Um, it looks great. They brought back the OG Tony Todd forever Candyman. Cause that was something they brought up in the horror noir trailer was that Tony Todd is now and will be forever Candyman. And I, and who were they trying agree. to get to be Candyman? Well, initially because it was a Jordan Peele project, you know, uh, Lakeith Stanfield was largely considered to be the front runner for the role of Candyman. Boo. Oh, <laughs> come on. He plays weird. That's his thing. Let him have Candyman. It's his wheelhouse. No, thanks. Not if Tony Todd's alive. Are you kidding me? That's sacrilege, bro. Yes. If Tony Todd wants the job, Tony Todd gets the job. But if Tony Todd was like, nah, I'm good on having bees in my mouth. Thank you very much. Which we could understand. Then I think Lakeith Stanfield would be a perfectly reasonable pick. So I'm looking at I'm looking at I'm looking at this uh, trailer right now. It's it's fantastic. It reminds me of the that section in the the Deathly Hollows movie. Yeah, yeah. Remember that when they were talking mm-hmm. about the Deathly Hollows uh, through the mm-hmm. story, and they're story telling books? you the story of them. Yeah, this is fantastic. It's so well done. It it's its own little film in its own right, and that it's just quote unquote just a trailer is a shame because it's fucking amazing yeah i mean you definitely could do a short um with this i, I don't right, know right right it looks so good and it's so creepy for just being fucking shadow puppets mm-hmm. what the hell this is great all right i'm gonna pause right there so i don't have to keep going on brother that was great so horror noir this this documentary if you get a chance to see it covers all of these different uh eras in um you know, in, in black horror history. And I'm, I'm glad to say that we're sort of living in what looks to be, you know, a really good age for it. We're coming back around again. The nineties were great. I mean, I love all the bones is awesome. Pam Greer, Snoop Dogg. I mean, come on. Snoop Dogg's hood of horror is campy and funny, but it's fucking fantastic. Have you seen uh, Blackula? Oh, of course I've seen Blackula and then scream Blackula scream. They screened Black Blackula right after the horror noir uh, documentary. <sighs> you lucky <laughs> so, son of a bitch. That was cool. <laughs> well, after watching this documentary, I walked away with a whole new respect for Blackula because I saw it when I was a teenager, a young teen, and so it just all read as camp to me. And mm. now as an adult watching the same clips from that movie, I, I get the depth now. So I should. Uh, it's due for a rewatch for sure. Yeah. I was, that was the first time I saw it as an adult, you know, uh, mm-hmm. without it being like like heavily edited for TV. And there's like so many movies back then that I never got to really see the full movies because I saw the the Saturday afternoon TV uh, edited mm-hmm. version of it, the USA edited versions. Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, that was cool to see on the big screen. What is um, your favorite black horror film? Tales from the Hood. Yeah, me too. Tales from the Hood <laughs> 1 is my favorite horror Yo, can we just say for a minute, oh, yeah, David Allen Greer is fucking incredible. I was watching in Living Color. David oh, yeah. Allen Greer is hilarious. And then you watch this movie and he looks over at his girlfriend when she speaks out a line and you are so scared for her. You're oh, like, yeah. oh my God, David Allen Greer, please don't. He's already got three names. He will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know you're already dead. He's got three names. (laughs) And he's so scary in this. He's so scary. Oh, yeah, man. And then then Corbin Burnson is the racist politician. I'm going to shoot your little nigger balls off. Oh, my God. You, he's so perfect. He's always, he's so perfect. The only spooks I'm scared of are 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 you spooky reporters? Mm-hmm. That's that's all I got to say about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> the casual racism and the and then the 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 black guy who's on his campaign staff and like that's a big part of Tales from the Hood too mm-hmm. is this idea of African Americans selling out their own community, oh, which yeah. is the, also the point of the one of the final vignettes in Tales from the Hood is the African American police officer who does nothing when his you know fellow cops beat up and murder mm-hmm. uh, a person of color and the guilt that he feels because of oh, that. Yeah. And they really, the second and the third ones lean really heavily into that idea mm-hmm. of the you know selling out quote unquote selling out your own people oh yeah i mean it's that's a horror show within itself you know uh i remember this i remember the song that uh that accompanied the movie these hotels tales from the hood <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. When, when every movie would have it a, a music video to accompany it Remember that in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> Don't go chase it, waterfalls. Uh, what else? Uh, what had the rap at the end of it that had no... Oh, 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 the Halloween 3 rap or something? Was there that Elo Cool no, 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 no. This was back in the 80s. This was a horror movie that out of nowhere had a, like, like a rap synopsis of the horror movie. <laughs> um, or digital underground in nothing but trouble. See, there you go. When they do the Humpty dance, mm-hmm. like with Tupac as one of their background dancers, mm-hmm. you see all of those uh, cameos. That's my hands down my favorite. What about you? What's your favorite one? Oh, I, I said, I said, I said, Tales from the Hood. Oh, Tales oh, from the yeah. Hood. All right, cool, good. I was so excited thinking about Tales from the Hood. I, uh, I have a, I have a, I have a soft spot for uh, us. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like conceptually, it's like one of the coolest um, yeah, yeah. black horror films ever made. Conceptually, it just it didn't land as well near the end, mm-hmm. and and then of course, Get Out is kind of in a class of yeah, its own, yeah, yeah. You know, but um, it's not as fun. You know, like horror movies tend to have a fun side to them too. So it's not as fun as so a tale, crazy. Tales, a tales from the a hood. really an unintentionally fun one is is called Dead Heist, and so basically uh, the Lifetime Network made a black zombie movie, and mm-hmm. it's basically about a crew that goes to rob a bank, and that while they're robbing the bank, the zombie apocalypse occurs, and <laughs> it's fucking hysterical in completely unintentional ways and there's no way basically what ends up happening is is they get in they start robbing the bank zombies attack they have to fight their way out and basically no one survives and it's super Mm. pg-13 and i wish oh my god there's um there's somebody who is in it and uh he's a um a rapper can't think but he plays basically the local gun shop owner oh, god this is so stupid uh here we go big daddy kane <laughs> big daddy kane, oh, big daddy kane. <laughs> plays the local gun shop owner and he ends up saving everybody at like who's left at the end of the movie by blasting through all the zombies and basically rescuing them <laughs> the story is meaningless and you really just exist to see a bunch of guys um who are, you know, sort of like 
gangbanger stereotypes take on zombies. And it's basically, you know, L.A. gangbangers versus zombies. But the movie is so unintentionally funny and I love it. And it's Lifetime's one and only foray into the black horror genre. And it's it's Mm -hmm. so wonderfully weird. Um, so I thought that that, uh, should have at least gotten mentioned on this documentary because it's, it's so one of a kind and awesome, but I do, I have a really, ever since, uh, I went and I saw, um, people under the stairs in theaters growing up and I just, I always really liked this material and tales from the hood was just so legit good that it's undeniable. So I, I have a soft spot. That's in my top five movies of all time. And I love every, Mm -hmm. every scene, every frame of it. In uh, Hand the Rocks, Rocks the Cradle, is this, this is a minor edit. It wasn't uh, Forrest Whitaker. It was Ernie Hudson. Oh, Ernie Hudson was in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she does off him. Yeah. He was playing like a slow character. Uh, that's unfortunate. I don't remember yeah. that. I mean, I don't, I can't recall mm-hmm. that movie vividly. I'm surprised I remember what I did. Yeah, I remember he was like, I remember he was, he did the yard duties and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's another and, trope. And we could talk about Ernie Hudson's career. You know, especially if we're talking about Ghostbusters, which is quasi horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell was that all about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just put this random black guy in. <laughs> he, he look, he took Eddie Murphy's part and played it as yeah. the straight man. I love Ernie Hudson in Ghostbusters. He's fantastic. The blue collar, this just a job guy, and he's great. Yeah, too generic for me, man. I rewatched Ghostbusters and it lost all of its luster. Really? You know. Mm-hmm. I respectfully disagree. Yeah. I think Ghostbusters 1 is an unbridled classic. Ghostbusters 2 has its problems, but it's good fun. I think Ernie Hudson is great. Mm-hmm. There's a great episode of Comic Book Men, which was the Kevin Smith uh, show from uh, his comic book store in uh, New Jersey. AMC. And they brought in Ernie Hudson, and they had him drive an ice cream truck and sell ice cream and comic books. And it's fucking hysterical <laughs> ernie hudson's not having he's like what's what's the point of what we're doing here we're selling comic books and ice cream but we're trying to sell mostly comic books and uh, i just drive the truck yeah and then he gets into it and he has a good time he's clearly playing the straight man you know and he's delightful lord. on it so lord lord but lord. i i thought i thought the documentary really did a great job of covering all this stuff and and of course all the stuff that's now coming out um since the documentary was made Spiral just released. We're going to get Candyman on uh, August 27th, 21. Uh, Them is Mm. out now and doing gangbusters on Amazon Prime. Although, you know, warning for some people, like if you thought the Tulsa massacre scene in Watchmen was rough, like I've been told and I haven't watched them yet, but I've been told that this is even rougher. So that's Mm -hmm. what makes black horror so horrifying sometimes is the amount of realism they can really get into. Yeah, I'm. I'm just tired of the slave stuff. Um, you know, tw- I feel like Twelve Years a Slave was the best movie about slavery, and I don't need to see any more slave mm-hmm. stuff for a good while. Fair um, enough. And you know, of course, that's horror. <laughs> I think that what we're gonna see, and what the best part is, is that we're gonna see horror movies that specifically address the daily um, uh, tensions and fear that black communities feel, but then we're also, let's get some good, just write a character and just make it a person of color or make it a woman or make it, you know, um, a queer character, just change the story up. I don't need to see the same people doing the same stuff all the time. Um, I want to see more horror movies where it, you know, stars persons of color where maybe that doesn't even factor in or persons of, you know, different sexualities where it's just taken as rote. And you don't need to get into that's, it. That's that's what that's where we're going. Well, I like that then. You know, it's even it's even reflected in a lot of kids' cartoons for the past ten years. As You're well. absolutely right. So like they're they're getting behind that curve, and it's great. You know, we're people. <laughs> we're not we're not meant to be some trope because we're a novelty to you. <laughs> you know. Mm. Yeah, man. So everybody go out, see this documentary, go watch, um, you know, go watch programs from marginalized uh, communities and go uh, seek this stuff out. And you got plenty of time until Loki drops, until Rick and Morty drops, until Black Widow drops. So, 
you know, it's not just good stuff coming out. It's great stuff that's been made since before even most of us were on this planet. So go find it and uh, stay we'll dead. keep trying stay to bring it to dead. you. Stay dead. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> and out of this world. Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy oh, that's coming to back out. So good. So good. <laughs> You know that's a you know that's a song from like you know that's a song from like the sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The album that that's off of is called "My Cat Named Dog," and I can't think of the the same. I just remember the um that that was the most absurd uh, album title. I can't think of the singer's name, but I can remember that the album it's from is called "My Cat Named Dog," which I thought was funny. But um, so yeah, if uh, people think you're funny and they want to find you, where do they find you? You can see some of my stuff on my website, uh, www.artheromeo.live. Um, you can also uh, check out my YouTube channel, Draw Really Awesome Wow. Uh, it's like a funny art tutorial type uh, channel. And um, you can also find me on and DM me if you like on uh, on my Instagram. I have two of them. It's uh, Dreambook82. It's like my personal account. And then I also have a Draw Really Awesome. Well, it's all with uh, underscore. Draw Really Awesome. Wow. Uh, uh, all underscore on Instagram as well. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm not nearly as uh, prolific in my art production as Arthur is, so you can just find me on Facebook at Thomas Olton, or you can find me on Instagram at Thomas.Olton. And if you like the podcast, please do go online and rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and maybe tell your friend and tell your mama. Really because, helps. Uh, we'll be back next week <laughs> with a lot more fun stuff to tell you about. So by all means, join us then. Yo, yeah, man. Loki, Loki baby. baby. And we're going to be talking about Loki on... Tales to Acknowledge! Goddamn. See you next time. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Bye.